you're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show. Buck took the day off, but don't worry, we've still got you covered. This is the best of the Buck Sexton Show. Welcome, friends, to the Buck Sexton Show. These are troubling times. We have multiple crises happening. You'd think that right after an election, there'd be something of a calm before the storm. You'd either have the preparation for a new administration or the continuation of the old administration. And we'd be thinking about the holidays, Christmas presents, Hanukkah gifts, New Year's plans. Instead, we are subjected to more and more lies about what is actually happening in this election recount and auditing process. And we're subjected to increasing totalitarianism that doesn't even try to justify itself anymore in order to stop COVID as if that's possible. And let me tell you, and I I don't usually complain about these things to you because I think that oftentimes people use this as an opportunity to just direct attention to themselves or, oh, look at me. I have found out beyond any doubt. I mean, it's official that because of my stances on covid-19 asking questions mostly because i say hold on a second the data does not support this thing that they say hold on a minute how does it make sense to do this and not that for those thought crimes for that wrong think i'm currently throttled limited demonetized you name it on all of the major social media platforms that's currently happening right now Some people have been saying, Buck, you haven't been tweeting as much or you haven't been posting as much. What's going on? It's because I'm trying to figure out what's happening. And I've gone into the back end of various accounts and looked at the stats and seen the official warnings. You have to look for them sometimes or the official suspensions, all these things that happen. And yes, what they do now is they bring in, quote, independent fact checkers, end quote, and they shut you down. And they don't even tell you about it necessarily. You'll just find out, oh, your reach is down 90%. You think that your followers and your followers believe they have access to what you're saying and thinking. But no, you're just put in the penalty box. This is coming at a time when people asking important questions, people being willing to say, hold on a second. Why are we at an all time high in cases in this country? Why are we being told that California is going into full on stay at home mode in Los Angeles, in some of the Bay Area counties? The most extreme lockdown orders that you would find anywhere in this country. And this is all happening after months of masking and social distancing and limitations on gatherings. And they tell us that the reason for all of this is because we haven't done a good enough job. We've had months of restrictions in place. Remember when California over the summer was holding itself up as a great example? We mask up so we're safe. That's what they were saying. That was what the governor, Gavin Newsom, that just slimy fraud. That's what he was telling everybody. Great job. You listen to what we tell you. Therefore, you're safe. Do they stop listening suddenly? No. But can they admit that? No, people in power don't like to have their power taken away, and they also really don't like to look stupid or like they've been swindled or they're frauds, right? They prefer to avoid that when they can. They certainly don't like like looking dumb, though. 
because mockery of public officials is one thing that they know is destructive to their brand. You can disagree with them. You can think they're they're uh, left wing hacks. But if you can really make fun of them and it sticks, that bothers them. That's why this hypocrisy that we see stays in so many people's minds long after it happens when Gavin Newsom and others, London Breed, the mayor of San Francisco, these public officials, California and elsewhere across the country who don't take their own warnings to heart. They want you to shut down. They want you to lock down. But the rest of us, you see, uh, in the elites, we get a we get a get out of lockdown free card. That's their that's their position. But I just get very angry because I see what's happening here. I see that this is really about shaping the public mind, shutting down debate and discussion. And big tech is now full on part of this authoritarianism. What purpose does social media serve in a time of national policy crisis, if not to allow people to exchange information and ideas that are contrary Contrary to the dominant paradigm. Why even have it? What's the point? These are communications platforms. And yes, they've been given special exceptions and carve outs. 230 should go. It should go. Because they're acting like the New York Times editorial board has created this place where you can have a conversation, but they shut it down the moment they don't like what you're saying. You know why I bother them so much? Because I'm right about things that they, the consensus enforcers, have been wrong about. It's embarrassing for them, but it's only embarrassing if people know about it. So they cover it up and they shut people down and they say, you're violating our terms of service. How am I violating? Oh, that's right. Third party fact checkers say that this is not correct. Third party fact. The third party fact checkers are morons. I am smarter than all of these third party fact checkers. I know more than them. I have a longer track record of not just calling things about covid, but about everything in public life. Why? Why do they get the ability to stifle me? Oh, that's right. And I'm, I'm not the only one at all. I know this is happening to a lot of my fellow conservatives in this fight, but I'm just telling you right now, I have been directly targeted by this. They're going after me with everything they've got. And they're doing it in the slyest possible way. They can't. They're not suspending me. I haven't broken any rules. So what do they do? They just throttle me. They shadow ban me. Oh, you think you're communicating with your followers, but you're not. And you know that I wouldn't say this unless I, I, I have the proof. I know. I can see. And then I track it down and there's this little, oh, you violated this here. Or And remember, it's not terms of service, really. It's that they bring in these fact checkers. You know what the fact checkers do? launders their authoritarianism to a third party. So these billionaires that you know own and run Facebook and Twitter and and everything Google affiliated, they they're not the ones saying that there's no free speech. They brought in these independent fact checkers. People are losing their livelihoods. California is turning into like a prison state right now. For what? Because this is going to make everything so much better. Ask somebody who believes, oh, we only have to do this for two weeks and then we'll flatten it. Really? Yeah, because the environment, the climate for covid is going to be so much better in the middle of December or the end of December than it is now. What happens when you start to open back up? 
G, think this one through. If the lockdown slows down cases, what happens when the lockdown ends? When you look at hospital capacity, the media keeps lying to you about this. And don't worry, I'm going to get to the lies about the election and how they say that what happened, the, the Georgia video is debunked. It's not debunked. There's all these things that they could do. There's all these ways they could show us that the election results were not fraudulent in a widespread and systematic fashion. And they choose not to do them. Why? They're so busy. It's so hard to do a signature match in Georgia. But there's something bigger going on here. I mean, remember this. If they can censor us during a pandemic when they've gotten countless things wrong already, they can always find an excuse to censor you for anything else that really matters as well. Most of the worst, uh, most of the most uh, worst worthwhile ideas and arguments and news stories you can share on social media right now are, are getting banned. They may not tell you they're banned, but they're shadow banned. And it's happening faster and faster now every day. And the tidal wave of fact checking and false news censorship is occurring during an election and in the immediate aftermath. You think it's in, in, in any way unconnected that Hunter Biden, the, the shutdown of that story right before the election and now the continued shutdown and all this. Oh, this is disputed. This is disputed. Everything worth talking about in politics is disputed. They put these little idiotic disclaimers on everything. This is putting their thumb on the scale, putting their elbow on the scale for the authoritarian left. And they've lied to you. They've lied to society about this. They've said that they are devoted to free speech. These are platforms for the exchange of ideas. They're not publishers. They're platforms. That's a lie. They are acting as publishers straight up. It's just there are so many people publishing on their sites, they can't go after it all. So what do they do? They use algorithms and they go after people that are too problematic for them. They go after people that are getting too much attention for an idea that opposes this consensus. None of this is a coincidence or an accident. None of this also was applied to the mass hysteria about Trump-Russia collusion, all lies for years. Where was all this third-party fact-checking then? Where was all the shadow banning and the suspending of people then? No, it's only now when we have lockdowns happening, we're separated from each other. This is actual tyranny in practice now. When someone says your restaurant can't open, but across the street someone else's can, because I say so, and you go bankrupt and someone else doesn't, because I say so, that is tyranny. That's what it feels like. The founding fathers were drawing muskets on people for taxing their tea too much. You remember? But here we are being told you're not allowed to ask tough questions. You're not allowed to point out what? That the public health policies in place. Uh, is this success? Is this what success looks like? They've got to be kidding, right? I mean, th compared to compared to what? What is the baseline? In California, they reported more than 30,000 new coronavirus cases. The biggest one day increase on record for any state. Is it because California is Trump country and people are mass deniers there? Gee, I guess that whole narrative about it's all the Trump people not wearing masks that are spreading the virus was idiotic reckless, vicious, and stupid. 
But if you try to point these things out, be careful because the third party fact checker, who are these people? Who are these individuals that I'm supposed to believe are in a position to fact check me? And it's not even facts. It's opinion that they disagree with. But the fact checkers have better opinions. Now, this is, of course, happening in part because. Journalism has so thoroughly disgraced itself because of its obvious bias and its blatant partisan activism. They're rebranding this wing of objective journalism as fact checking now. They cannot win the argument, so they must control the flow of information. That's what's happening right now. It is real. It is all around you. And big tech is their way back to information dominance. That's what they want. Just like the old days, no Fox News, no conservative media. Just get your talking points read to you by some imbecile with too much hairspray on the nightly news, or in this case, from the New York Times website. That's the only thing that's allowed. Don't question the election. Don't question the COVID lockdown policies. If you do either of those things, they will silence you. Where are the big defenders of our democracy right now? Oh, no. The great irony of our present moment is that many of the loudest voices that claim to be preserving our democracy are in fact leftist mouthpieces for censorship and totalitarianism, which are in fact mortal threats to our democracy. That is what is happening right now. Don't ask questions about the election. It's over, they say. Don't ask questions about COVID policy. It's the science, they say, and they are wrong on both. And they know it, which is why they won't even let you talk about it. Liberty, truth, and great hair. You're listening to the best of the Buck Sexton Show. I'm not the only one who's furious about this in the media. That's the good news. Although I've been going after the COVID lies harder than almost anybody. There are a few others who have been really strong on this one. Uh, But Rick Santelli, speaking of the Tea Party, this is the guy who got the Tea Party started. Remember that? It's from his rant. That's how everyone got the idea for the Tea Party. This guy, Rick Santelli, CNBC. Here he is having the, the classic exchange of this moment where it's smug, elitist, wealthy, lib who can stay at home, have DoorDash and Hulu, take the edge off the day. He doesn't have to worry about anything. And he doesn't want the peasants getting all uppity about how their small businesses are being ruined or they can't see any of their elderly relatives this this holiday season. You know, if people understood what the death data was year in and year out in this country, how many people are dying, especially in a certain age group all the time, they might feel a little differently about saying, Sorry, nine months, 10 months, 18 months of your life, not allowed to see people. Too dangerous. If you're 97 and you want to see your loved ones, I think you should be able to. I don't think you should be told just six more months. But here's here's Santelli. Play it. Can't tell me that shutting down, which is the easiest answer, is necessarily the only answer. Rick, I just I, I just as a as a as a public health and public service announcement uh, for the audience. 
The difference wait, between wait, a all, big box retailer. Who is this? Hold on. The difference between <clears throat> the difference. The difference. The difference between a big box retailer. Hold on. The difference between a big box retailer and a restaurant or frankly, even a, a church, are so different, it's unbelievable. Going I disagree. Into a big box retailer, I disagree. You're wear- I disagree. You're wearing a mask. You can have your thoughts, and I you're can have mine. You're required to wear a mask. I disagree. I, it's science. I'm sorry. It's science. If it's you're wearing a mask, science. it's a different story. 500 people at a Lowe's aren't any safer than 150 people in a restaurant that holds 600. I don't believe it. Sorry, don't believe okay. it. And I you, live in an area where there's a lot of restaurants that have fought back, and they don't have any problems. And they're open. Okay. You don't have to believe it, but let me just say this. You're doing a I disservice to I the won't. viewer because the viewers need to you understand it. You are doing it. a disservice we, we are to the viewer. It. You are. You are. Listen to that smug lib. It's science. It's science. As if he knows anything about science. And this is actually public policy. This isn't science. If it were science, as in there's a right answer and a wrong answer, They would have gotten the answer right, don't you think? Somehow they haven't, as anyone can observe for themselves. All this stuff we've been doing, all these preparations, all the, oh, wear your mask, mask up between bites, mask indoors for dining, outdoors for dining, all this stuff we've been doing has not worked. Buck took the day off, but don't worry, we've still got you covered. This is the best of the Buck Sexton Show. I just want to deal in fact, because there is so much speculation out there and there is zero evidence that Hunter Biden or Joe Biden did anything wrong here. We should note again, you, you and I have said this in the air many times, there is no evidence that Joe Biden was you know, involved in any wrongdoing. Of course, want to note that there is no evidence that Joe Biden or Hunter Biden has done anything wrong. I just want to reiterate. And let's be clear for the viewers. There is no evidence Biden did anything wrong. I'll note again, because it's important. There is no, I repeat, no. There is no evidence that either Biden did anything illegal. There's been no evidence. There was no evidence. There's no evidence. There is no evidence. There is not an iota of evidence. No, no evidence. evidence. Biden, Biden did, did anything, anything wrong. wrong. There's really no evidence that Joe Biden did anything wrong. It, it, nobody's ever accused uh, it, 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 that. It, it, I mean, there's no evidence whatsoever that Joe Biden did anything wrong. You got that? Joe Biden did nothing wrong. Hunter Biden did nothing wrong. Right. They're delusional and they're a bunch of liars. But what a what a symphony of frauds. Wasn't that amazing? Here's a story today on FoxNews.com. New emails appear to show Hunter Biden failed to report $400,000 in income from a shady Ukrainian firm. There's no evidence he did anything wrong. No evidence he did anything wrong. Hunter Biden is the most pure and decent man imaginable. Yeah, the guy that got the stripper pregnant, pretend that he wasn't the dad afterwards and got kicked out of the Navy for doing coke or meth or whatever it was. Great guy. Great guy. Oh, yeah. Hunter Biden. He's you, you can you can take Hunter's word to the bank. Really trust, really trustworthy fellow. Uh, the media is disgusting. The media is a disgrace. You know it. I know it. And I think it's important that we all understand that they're not going to change. In fact, they're just going to become more aggressive under a Biden presidency. Uh, They're going to stifle dissent. They're not going to try to win the argument anymore. They're going to prevent you from being able to make an argument. They're going to try to shut down people like me who will beat them in the argument. They won't allow it. That's going to be the game. It's not it's not. Oh, may the best may the best pundit or news channel or show or whatever win. It's going to be. No, no, we're on air. You're not. 
because the people that control the plugs and the switches and, you know, the Internet and the cable channels, they're not letting you on. That's the game they plan on playing. Full on censorship. They talked about state media against Trump. They're a bunch of morons. There's no state media when 95 when 95 percent of the media opposes the sitting president. Notice that they, in a sense, and I, I know this is not comforting to hear, but they were successful in their lies. They were successful in what they were trying to achieve here, preventing us from figuring out what really happened. At least in time for the election. That's what mattered. It was all about when this would break. It was all about who and who would find out about this. At what point would they find out about this? And Hunter Biden was able to count on the media to give him the kind of uh, the kind of unbelievable unbelievable protection from the mainstream media that you could only expect if you're a Democrat that's really important to their movement. I mean, if you didn't report $400,000 in income, I mean, that's that's the kind of thing that even the IRS under a Democrat administration would normally pay attention to. But does anyone really believe? Does anyone really think that Hunter Biden would face any will face any consequences under a Biden administration for this whatsoever? No, of course not. The people who have been lecturing you for four years about norms and decency and democracy, about the rule of law, uh, are the same people who lied about Russia collusion from the beginning of the Trump presidency, used it as a weapon against Trump and all of his advisors and family members and everyone around him, and now are going to completely lock down with nothing but partisan intent, lock down anything the DOJ is looking at about Hunter Biden or anything else for that matter. That harms Democrat interests. That's their plan. That's what they're going to do. I mean, the suppression of the Hunter Biden uh, media story is something that we should never forget. In In the same way that the attacks on Brett Kavanaugh, the attacks on Brett Kavanaugh were a moment of clarity about who the Democrats really are. That they would lie about somebody. There was such a lack of decency and honor and integrity at the very top of the Democrat Party that they would say the things they said and present the things they did against Brett Kavanaugh, a good man who had done nothing wrong, who was who not only was he not a bad guy, he was a good guy. And they tried to ruin him. They tried to ruin him. No remorse about it. Kamala was one of them. Don't ever forget that. I mean, she's ruthless, utterly ruthless a disgrace is a mediocrity who's playing the system using identity politics using the democrat power structure i don't mean the democrat as in our democracy or whatever i mean the democrat party kamala is very ruthless indeed uh, but what we saw with kavanaugh now you should view what's going on here with the media as a kavanaugh-like moment they will in the weeks before a presidential election straight up lie to your faces without without a moment's hesitation. They will lie right to your face about an an issue of major national news concern. And afterwards, when they're exposed as frauds and liars for that, they think of themselves as heroes because their purpose is not to inform you. Their purpose is to influence you for the benefit of a political party, the Democrat Party. That is what they are doing. Now, it's not enough to just point this out. It, we, we have to be very clear that there are there are fights ahead. 
And I, I have, you know, substantial concerns about where all of this stuff is going. All right. Here is uh, here is Stacey Abrams. This Georgia election is weeks away. And remember, the last two weeks of December for a lot of people, including journos, uh, the last two weeks of December, there's not going to be a whole lot of focus on anything in the news cycle. No one's really going to pay much attention. Uh, and then all of a sudden you're going to come back. A lot of people come back from vacation. There's going to be a Georgia Senate runoff. For two seats, right? Georgia's having this runoff, two seats at play, and you got Warnock, Leffler, Purdue, Ossoff. Which names are going to come out victorious of this thing? Stacey Abrams, the make-believe governor of Georgia, is out there rallying her side, and she's speaking with a lot of confidence about this. Play 16. Democrats are prepared to win this election because this is the first runoff where we have the level of investment and engagement that it takes to win a runoff. We know from the numbers that we're in a good place. 1.2 million absentee ballots have been requested thus far. And just to put that into context, 1.3 million were requested for all of the general election. And of that 1.2 million, 85,000 of those applications are from voters who did not vote in the general election, and they are disproportionately between the ages of 18 and 29 and disproportionately people of color. What that signals is that there's an enthusiasm for John Ossoff and Raphael Warnock, and it signals that we understand that we may need to make a plan to vote and deliver this election. Look, millions of you are understandably furious about where we are right now in the presidential election. I understand that it all feels wrong. The Electoral College is meeting today to certify a result that you think in your soul, you know, is just unfair. It's wrong. The Democrats changed the election rules in bad faith. There are hundreds of sworn affidavits alleging fraud. And there's this seething rage that we should all have that the media openly and aggressively stifled information about Hunter Biden so Joe could win. Yes, the media rigged the game, but the game is not over. And I don't just mean in the presidential election. We've got to win in Georgia. I've actually got a piece up on BuckSexton.com on this that you should all check out. I wrote an editorial on it uh, because I, I'm trying to make the case to you that it is not true that we are losing focus on the presidential fight and exposing fraud if we also give all due attention to winning these Georgia Senate seats. It has to happen because what goes on if we lose this, if we lose and they have a Democrat majority in the Senate, well, first, they'll eliminate the filibuster. Then they'll move for expanded amnesty for illegal aliens. You know, they already have a surge at the border going on right now. Why do you think that is? People who are focused on this issue, who want to get into the country and stay here illegally, they know you're probably never going to have a better time. There's never going to be a better option for you to come into the country illegally than right before a Biden administration that's going to be pushing for amnesty. Because even if you're not covered by that amnesty, do you think there'll be any real will to do deportations? No, if you can get here, you'll be able to stay here. So they move for eventually it'll be legalization for everyone in the U.S. illegally. They'll add to that statehood for D.C. and Puerto Rico. Some Supreme Court packing could also happen, although it feels like they don't need it these days. Look at the Texas decision. Texas brought suit. Many states joined with Texas. Shot down by the Supreme Court. Trump is out there uh, tweeting about how no judge 
has the courage, right? That's what he's saying. No judge has the courage. What did I tell you all along? And I don't like saying things that I know are going to be frustrating to hear, but I have to tell you the truth. I have to tell you what I know is coming. Judges all along, I'd said, who's going to be the judge who wants to be attacked by the Democrats and the left for even giving a an opening for this to be overturned because of all the fraud? I just don't think they have the courage. That's not me saying I don't care that they don't have the courage. That's me saying this is the reality that we face. And that's what Trump is saying about these judges, including supposedly conservative justices. They're saying, nah, we, we can't we can't touch this thing. Sorry, can't get involved. So we absolutely, absolutely need to focus in on this Georgia election and do everything that we possibly can to make sure that the Senate is in Republican control going into a Biden administration, uh, because right now it would it would take something of a, a legal miracle to prevent the Biden administration from happening. We all we all need to know that that's that's where this is heading. Not saying it's over, but I'm saying it's not looking good. We're down two touchdowns and there's, you know, a minute 30 left. That's where that's where the situation is. And I'm going to say this to you. Anyone who tells you otherwise right now is not being straight with you. They're not being honest with you. And there's a lot of telling people what they want to hear right now. And I don't want to be a part of that and have our eye taken off the ball in Georgia because some people are squabbling for whatever remnants of the Trump movement they can sort of gather up for themselves in their eyes. I, I think that's the play. There are people now who are doubling and tripling down on how, oh, don't worry, you know, the plan and we're going to win. And there was a there was a chance. There was a time we were having that fight. And yes, we see it through to the end. But anyone who's telling you that it's looking good right now is lying to you. They're lying to you. All right. And putting too many people on air who are going to tell you that on their air, on their show, there's also a dishonesty in that. Right? Yeah, I, I could bring endless amounts of people. Look, I think Sean Parnell's legal challenge in Pennsylvania is legitimate. I think he's right. And I think he's got a shot. That's why I put Sean on the air. But if you're asking me how I think this is going to go for the election overall, meaning whether or not this thing is is pretty much over and done with, we're we're close and people can get mad at me. That's fine. I, I don't know why they're mad at me. I was saying fight all along. I was saying this is where we need to be. Dig in, do everything we can. But at some point, you know, sometimes you fight and you do you give it everything you got and you still don't end up getting the result. That would be justice. That's life. That's where we are. So I, I just rather you hear that at this point from me than have me pretend like everything's fine, which I would not do. And then in January, when Biden's a week out from being sworn in, say, yeah, you know, I guess I guess maybe it is going to happen, you know. We should prepare now for that possibility. Doesn't mean that we give up, but it means we are being smart and strategic. And part of that means winning in Georgia. All right. The uh, the response to losing Paris to the Germans, if you're the allies, is not to say, let's hand them London. And that's what giving them Georgia would be right now. A disaster. So we continue the fight and we understand where we are in this process. Bucks off spreading freedom coast to coast. This is the best of the Buck Sexton show. Y'all got a $1,200 check. Wall Street got $4 trillion in access to liquid funds. 
And, um, and that to me, just structurally, will I, I'm, I'm concerned. What keeps me up at night is that it was short-term relief that was really important and really necessary, but that the help for working people and everyday people, as we know, dries up super fast. But what we gave away, what we gave away to Wall Street was so large and so structural that, frankly, like that's why Republicans, I think, have not been, have been, you know, not as, um, and why Mitch McConnell has not been in a rush. Mitch McConnell has been in a rush. This is complete rewriting of history from AOC, who is an idiot, but a dangerous and powerful little propagandist for the ignorant left. No, Mitch is the one who has been pushing for COVID relief. Pelosi blocked it. They can try to rewrite the history as much as they want. It won't change what actually happened here. Pelosi blocked it. Said, no, we want more. He brings up Wall Street. This is something we we have got to change. We have got to, we've got to get the public to understand this. Wall Street is dominated by Democrats, by lib Democrats. The Wall Street banks, Goldman Sachs is practically a DNC pack in terms of the way that it spends money in elections. It's true of all these big investment banks because this is the game. The Amazons, the Goldman Sachs, the mega corporations, the globalists, the internationalists, they're rich and getting richer and government policy from big government action continues to benefit them. They like the anti-competitive nature of all the endless regulation and the ability of government to come in and shut down their competitors. Look what's going on during COVID. Small business is just getting wiped out. But Wall Street is is this is a myth. This is a fable. That Wall Street is Republican. Wall Street is absolutely not. I live in New York City. I come from a family with a a dad who worked on Wall Street for decades. I got brothers. I got friends that that are Wall Street people working in Wall Street. Wall Street is Democrats. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show. Buck took the day off, but don't worry. We've still got you covered. This is the best of the Buck Sexton Show. So how has this whole fight against COVID-19 gone so far? What have we learned and what should we do going forward? Critical, uh, absolutely essential. This and the election outcome, the two biggest, most important stories at this juncture in America. No question about it. We got somebody with a particular and worthy point of view on this one. He's writing a book about just what I what I mentioned. David Marcus who is the New York uh, correspondent for The Federalist. He writes thefederalist.com. He's got a book coming out on this called Charade. I can only assume that means he's actually been paying attention to all the BS we've been subjected to. <laughs> David, good to see you. It's great to see you, Buck. So let's, let's start with this. Uh, we got Biden telling us today 100 days of masking. We got Fauci saying the same stuff that he's been saying for nine months now, basically, eight months now. Uh, where's your head on all of this? And and you're a fellow New Yorker, so we've been through the worst of this of any place in the country. And and I'm I'm actually considering. I was saying this before. I'm actually considering civil disobedience for the first time in my life. Like I, I think I actually need to get arrested over the COVID lockdowns. That's where I'm at. Uh, yeah, look, it, it's pretty close to that. Uh, and 
you know, we saw that happen this week in, on Staten Island. Um, as far as the, the, the 100-day mask mandate, I mean, according to polling, somewhere in, in the neighborhood of 85 or 90 percent of Americans are wearing masks. Um, you walk around New York City, they're fairly ubiquitous, even beyond um, what the CDC uh, has called for. Uh, you know, we also look back to that New, New England Journal of Medicine article from the spring that really clearly made the point that in most quick interactions, uh, the mask doesn't do any good, that, that you know, that, that it's sort of meaningless because you need to, to be having a long, like, four-minute interaction to, to catch it. And that got clarified by the, author, by the authors, but it never got corrected. They never said, oh, no, 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 that's not true. They said, no, you should, you should go wear your mask. So, yeah, I, I mean, this is literally the least that Joe Biden can do. It's amazing that so many people think this is almost a, a, a revolutionary call from the would-be next president, Joe Biden. It, it's, it's almost like he's taking a page from the Fauci book, which is just keep, keep saying the same thing. And then there's no way to, to gauge it one way or the other. And when it doesn't work out, then just say, well, people didn't do it well enough. Because, David, I, I'm looking at this now day to day. The data we set, an, we set a new, you know, it's terrible. We set a new record, unfortunately, of deaths from COVID in 24 hours in the United States. Cases over 200,000 a day confirmed this week. And I look around and I say, OK, in what world does this look like we had figured out how to stop the spread? by doing all these things we've been doing. I just don't understand how anyone can come away with that conclusion. No, I, I don't I don't think you can. I mean, look, the, the fact is that this is an extraordinarily um, contagious virus. When I interviewed uh, Dr. Slowey for my book, who's the head of Operation Warp Speed, he explained to me that if you had a disease that was as infectious or contagious as COVID and as deadly as Ebola, he, he described that as something that would be an, an extinction-level uh, situation. I felt a little chill go up my spine, right? So, I mean, th this is a very contagious disease, and you're absolutely right. I, our, our efforts to mitigate it um, really haven't seemed to make a whole lot of, of difference. And every time the government sticks its its finger in, in a hole in the dam, the virus starts coming through something else. So it's restaurants, or it's Thanksgiving dinner, or it's the schools. Or it's, and yeah, it's it's been hapless at best. So in your research for Charade, you just mentioned you uh, you interviewed Dr. Salawi. What what part of this has been? Let's just start with your title. What part of this do you feel has been a charade? Well, there's there, a lot. Uh, a lot of it has. The book is basically broken down into chapters where I, ex I explore um, one myth um, in each of the chapters. So I, I think maybe the biggest lie uh, or myth of, of the lockdown period was we're all in it together. Right. This, this sort of became the advertising slogan. This sort of became the way that politicians made us feel that, that you know, we, we couldn't disobey them or we were somehow, you know, harming the collective and we were all, all going through it. And obviously we weren't. I mean, I was very aware of the privileged position that I was in being a journalist who had all basically already worked from home. Uh, that I, I kept my income. Right. I, 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 I even got the stimulus money. And meanwhile, I'd walk to the grocery store and see food lines. Um, we were never in this together. Uh, another is, you know, follow the science. And as we just talked about with the mess, well, I mean, the science changes. Um, uh, Jay Batiara, who's a, a Stanford uh, 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 professor of medicine at Stanford, he made the point recently that science can't operate if 
you have what I like to refer to as pandemic correctness. Science can only operate if, if everybody's ideas are able to be explored. And that clearly didn't happen. We saw that with that New, New England Journal of Medicine article where they were scolded uh, and, and, and then they were cowed. Yeah, I got throttled on social media for sharing the Danish mask study because you're only allowed to share it. And remember, now they actually will shut you down for things because they claim it lacks context, which is just a fancy way of saying we don't like your editorial bent on this, even if it's accurate. We don't like your conclusions. So we're going to say that it's not fair enough or something like this to the data, even though it's sharing actual data. So I've had to go through that, which has been quite a, a truly Orwellian experience. People overuse that term, but it actually does does apply here. And, and I just think that in New York City in particular and some of these large urban areas across the country, David, there's been a an unwillingness to question any of this because I do believe it, it just got wrapped up in anti-Trumpism. And now I know there's still this election recount lawsuits and all this going on. But every Democrat I know thinks and I know a whole bunch of them thinks that Joe Biden is the president. And this is all a, a, a joke. And, I, and they kind of look at me like, OK, so now you're going to stop pointing out the hypocrisy with the lockdowns when people who are, as you mentioned, the, the elites aren't affected by this. We're not in this together. They are literally sending stay at home. Don't see anybody orders from from their vacation spots in Mexico, as the mayor of Austin did. Right. Like, don't go anywhere. I'm flying private sure. to Mexico. I point this out still. And, they, and some of them are looking at me like, well, no, but this isn't about Trump anymore. And I'm looking at them and saying, exactly. It was never actually about Trump. You lunatics. Although I usually yeah. leave the lunatics part out. No, you're absolutely right. We'd be very lucky if this was about Trump. Um, my fear is that this is less about Trump and more about people like uh, Emperor Cuomo getting a taste of absolute power and deciding, hey, this this tastes pretty good. And I still have an excuse to tell people that, you know, now for 10 months, I have to operate under the emergency powers that were given to me by the state legislature. That's happening all over the country. By the way, that's happening by the same people who accuse Trump of being a authoritarian. I mean, what's going on? Yeah, it can't, it can't be all these things. We're speaking of David Marcus, who is the New York correspondent for The Federalist. He writes at thefederalist.com. So, David, uh, what do you think is coming? I mean, I, I made a prediction. I've been making a prediction that you're going to see if the Biden mask mandate, which I mean, it, it, you can't fly right now without a mask. They will actually not fly and they, they will boot you off the airline permanently. <laughs> That's what they threaten to do to people. And they've actually done it, I think, a few times now if you don't mask up. So it's just adding to this. But my belief is that they're going to have that they're going to try to have this renewed sense of lockdown. And I mean that with the stay at home orders and the masking alongside vaccine distribution. And then as if we're all a bunch of idiots, they're going to turn around and say in right right around March when the cases, God willing, I think they will are cratering and everything's working. They'll say, see, yeah, the vaccine was kind of helpful, but it was really all those Fauci-esque orders that got it done. I think that's what's going to happen. It, it, it may well. And look, part of the reason that I wanted to, to write the book is because the history is already so skewed and, and, and so wrong about what, what's happened that I believe you're right that that'll continue to be the case. The, the very first chapter uh, the, the very first myth that I that I bust in this book 
is this idea that January and February were wasted months by the Trump administration, that they just weren't doing anything. And then all of a sudden in March, and it, it's it's an absolute fabrication. As Alex Azar um, pointed out just the other day, it was January 9th when the NIH started working with Moderna on a vaccine. To put that in perspective, that's before China admitted that there had been a single death. That's before the World Health Organization said that there was human-to-human -human contact. And that is why we, we have that particular vaccine today. So, uh, you know, the, and that was the story, right? How often did you hear that? Oh, well, Trump didn't do anything in, in January and February. The media just repeated it, and it's a blatant lie. I was a, on a Bill Maher show in February, as, as this audience knows, and was laughed at and sneered at by that audience, which happens if you're a conservative, doesn't matter who you are, what you do. That's what then. Unfortunately, that's the deal. But you got to go into the lion's den sometimes. And, and it was because they they had already decided that Trump had failed. And this was before a single American had died from covid. He was already a catastrophic failure on covid. So it was all, it was all baked in before anything even happened. It didn't matter. And I think, that, you know, tragically, unfortunately, from a political perspective, I think it was largely effective. I mean, this should not have even been a close election if it weren't for COVID. And here we are still counting ballots. Well, look, I think the news that, that just broke about uh, Nancy Pelosi is, is just about the most horrible thing I can imagine a, a politician doing. I mean, she just announced this morning that now because Biden is going to be president, she'll accept a smaller uh, stimulus package. I mean, millions of people have been suffering who need that money, millions of businesses who, you know, who need that support. Uh, and, and the fact that she's just blatantly admitting that the only reason that she wouldn't do it was because she wanted Joe Biden to be president. I mean, lie to me, right? Tell me it's because cases are spiking. Say anything else. Don't blatantly tell me that you plunge people into misery for the sake of winning an election. It's 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 a shocking admission. Do you think New York has had is, is it fair or what would be your your calculation about whether we could say New York specifically has had the the worst leadership? We've certainly had the worst outcomes, but is it fair to say we've had the worst leadership during the covid outbreak? I don't know, man. I was in Chicago last week um, and my understanding is that they those kids haven't been back in school at all. Um, and, and it's basically like all remote, at least for the public schools. Their restaurants are closed. And man, no, November in Chicago, trying to eat a steak outside under a heat lamp. Uh, that's just about over. Uh, you know, I was able to manage it, but it, that's just about done. Right. Um, so that's been pretty bad. As you mentioned, Garcetti has been bad. Uh, Newsom hasn't. Look, it's a competitive category, but I, I'm like, you know, I'm like you. I always want to give New York number one so we can give number yeah. one with an ass. But I, I, I agree with you. Garcetti, I, I love that uh, with Garcetti, he says he has said the quote is cancel everything. But podcasting, which near and dear to my heart, podcasting is an essential activity. So if you have to leave your home or take some risks for that one. OK, Good to know, because he's got buddies, you know, he's got celebrity friends that want to keep doing their their podcasts and go into their studios. David Marcus, uh, he's got a book. It's not when's it coming out, David? It comes out in March, but it's available for uh, pre-order at all the, you know, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, you know, all the all the companies that are taking over the world and stomping their foot on small business. So, you know, I, I wouldn't blame anyone for waiting to try to buy it at a bookstore. But uh, 
There but we it'll go. be out in March. David Marcus of the Federalist, everyone. David, thanks so much, man. Have a good one. Thanks for having me. Liberty, truth, and great hair. You're listening to the best of the Buck Sexton Show. Joe Biden now, every couple of days, says something where the only reasonable reaction is to go, huh? What? What? Or maybe to go, womp, womp. What was that that Joe Biden just said? Does somebody want to try to ex- explain it or make sense of it? Uh, he was asked in this in this uh, complete puff piece interview with fake fake Jake Tapper. And and uh, I don't know if he was the only one doing the interview. Who cares? He was asked with this because, you know, CNN now, oh, they're they are state TV for the Democrats. That's the way this is going to work. Here's Biden asking, uh, talking about his disagreements in the past. Rather, he's being asked about this, his disagreements with, with Kamala Harris. And I want you to listen very closely to what he says. Play two. It's a, it's a matter of the thing we are simpatico on our philosophy of government and simpatico on how we want to attach approach these issues that we're facing. And so I don't have and when we disagree, it'll be just like so far. It's been just like when Barack and I did. It's in private. She'll say, I think we should do A, B, C or D. And I'll say, I don't I like A, don't like B and C. Mm-hmm. And it's OK. But and I like I told Barack, if 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 I reach something where there's a a fundamental disagreement we have based on a moral principle, I'll, uh, I'll, 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 I'll develop some disease and say I have to resign. Um, we, we don't have that. I'm a, we haven't. And we discussed at length mm-hmm. our views on foreign policy, on domestic policy, on intelligence. And the great thing is she has a background in the Senate on intelligence, the Intelligence Committee. She has a background in the Senate on a whole range of things that are going to be pertinent to what we have to do. But it's going to be I think so much is going to be incoming, Jake. Yeah. It's a matter about who, 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 who takes what when. I don't know. I know it was in the middle there. So I just want to reiterate it you hear. I'll develop some disease and resign. That's what that's what Joe Biden just said. I will develop some disease and resign. You, you heard the audio yourself. What the heck is that? If I have a disagreement with Kamala on a core principle, uh, you know, I'll, I'll develop a disease and resign. Uh, now, I understand that, that people are going to say, oh, he was just Biden being Biden, all this. I said it from the beginning. This guy is not going to finish his four years in office. He will step down. Another prediction. We'll be able to check on this in time. And I know it's not over yet with the election, but they're moving forward acting like it is. So we can at least have a conversation about this. They are going to uh, they're going to tell you that this is crazy. Meanwhile, Joe Biden's actually saying out loud stuff like I'm going to develop a, a health issue and resign. In an interview on TV, it wasn't like he said it in a, you know, a open mic moment somewhere. People would say hot mic. I think that's not. Producer Mark, is it a hot mic when it makes the weird sound? You know what I mean? No, a mic is hot when it's on. Is that really true? Yes, that's a technical behind inside baseball type of term. No, but I thought hot mic meant that like it's like, you know, makes the it makes the noise and stuff. That, no, you know, that's hot. That's called feedback. Ah, well, this is why producer Mark runs that stuff. So, OK, fair enough. Well, that is not on a hot mic. Uh, so, yeah. Anyway, uh, the point is Joe Biden's saying this now. He's saying, I'm going to develop something and I'm going to step down. Of course he would want to do that. 
He gets to be, if you look at Joe Biden's career, and I hate having to say this, this guy is a deeply unimpressive mediocrity at best. And he has the opportunity to be the vice president to the first black president and the president who then brought in and and prepared and handed the torch over to the first black female president, you know, of the, you know, and, and both Democrats, of course, Barack and, and Kamala. And that, well, what could be a better legacy for Joe Biden? The Biden name will will be better than the Kennedy name. I'm telling you, this is the play. You don't want Joe Biden. If, if we have to go to war with China or something, Joe Biden doesn't want to be in charge. He'd be like, China, no joke, man. Big, big country. Lots of people. I'm gonna, I'm going to develop something and step down. Right. That, that's what we're that's what we're signing up for here, America. Get ready for it. Buck took the day off, but don't worry. We've still got you covered. This is the best of the Buck Sexton show. There's a case to be made that this will actually strengthen uh, Trump and his base. And, and here's why. At least for now, the president has had some constraints on him as, as president. He can't do things that are totally off the charts. There are still people and lawyers around him who tell him, you can't do that, sir. You can't fire this guy. You shouldn't do that. When he leaves, and if he's right about creating his own media empire and a digital platform and and declaring simultaneously that he's the candidate in 2024, what you now have is a totally unchecked actor all over media with 70 million votes uh, of people who will, will follow him. And, uh, you know, 100 million or whatever he's got on Twitter following him, he becomes unchecked and his people in his in the eyes of his base, he becomes the hero, the wronged hero who must be avenged. You know, this this outrage must be avenged. He's our guy. And so add to it the QAnon folks who have been elected to Congress. Right. And you can see a recipe where this doesn't go away. This this lunacy becomes embedded in our society and our culture. There you have a Russia collusion truther who was a former senior FBI guy. I think he was the deputy assistant or something. I mean, he was some or, you know, deputy director. I don't know. He had some senior FBI title. Who knows? He was a senior guy at the FBI who's telling you that you need to be on guard. here. You need to be careful because there could be this whole narrative out there of a stolen election and that Trump, even if he's not president, will be dangerous. And, you know, I, I think that. They're forgetting that we all went through we all went through three years, uh, four years, rather, of Russia collusion, lies and and attacks and smears. And yeah, yeah, they're going to have a really tough time dealing with a Donald Trump. If he's not president, they're going to have a difficult time uh, fighting through the way that Trump and his movement will be able to be a problem for their narrative. But beyond that, I also note that we're all supposed to be so worried. We were worried he wasn't going to accept the loss. Now you got this. This guy's a moron. Figliuzzi. I mean, he goes on MSNBC. The guy's a complete jackass. It really the FBI and the CIA brands are irrevocably or irrevocably. Sorry. But the FBI and CIA brands are deeply damaged as a result of uh, what's going on here. Damaged beyond repair, I think. And I'm somebody who, you know, I'd like to think the CIA is well regarded. It's it's really not anymore because of these senior officials from these agencies who go out and act like partisan morons. More Biden voters, Democrats, Antifa 
attacking Trump supporters in D.C., it's not covered in the media. It doesn't even get a mention. The lunacy of the left that's going on in Seattle right now and in Portland and in D.C., they don't even think of it as a news story. I mean, they really are like the Soviet media, you know, their Pravda circa 1958 or something. I mean, it's appalling what they're willing to lie about and cover up. Bucks off spreading freedom coast to coast. This is the best of the Buck Sexton show. How does China influence our politics? We heard so much about Russian influence in the election in 2016. It was greatly exaggerated, as you know, by the media because they used it as a weapon against Trump. But now we're starting to wake up to the reality of pervasive, widespread and incredibly powerful Chinese Communist Party influence operations. And they're following our politics closely and trying to direct political outcomes in this country. We've got someone joining now who can speak very much to this issue. Stephen Yates is with us now. He is the principal of D.C. International Advisory, and he's formerly deputy national security advisor uh, to Vice President Dick Cheney under the Bush administration. Steve, great to have you. Thank you, Buck. It's wonderful. To join you. And Steve's also a Mandarin speaker, so he's been handling this issue and looking at it for a very long time. Stephen, how does how does China I mean, walk us through this? I mean, give us a, a kind of overview brief of, of what we're seeing now and, and how China in recent years has tried to influence American politics. Well, Buck, I'll give a quick version of it. Uh, this is something that's been going on a long time. It's escalated. It's become more sophisticated. And it's been technologized and all, all the weapons are at the hands of the, the Communist Party of China at this point. But if people might remember, but it seems ancient history, that there were influence operations that hit the public in the 1990s. There were fundraising scandals that came up during the, the Clinton administration. Congress had a full, full scale national security report done under the leadership of Chris Cox that among other things gave warnings about this, but the Chinese used to use access to their markets as leverage to try to get more favorable policies from Americans. So the old argument was China's a developing country, we give them a break here or there and treat them like a developing country, sort of like a kid at the kid's table, but with the potential to come to the big tables, let's give them a break and go ahead and give them special access and they'll grow into their role of being a responsible partner of ours. But over time, they've gone from just giving money to campaigns, which got them in trouble in the 1990s, to then they found out, well, what if we work with churches and chambers of commerce? In other words, let's influence the influencers. And it got to from corporate boardrooms to evangelical associations, the Catholic Church itself, uh, other kinds of civic organizations, whether it's sister cities, uh, they just expanded this uh, this this outreach effort, uh, and they completely co-opted a lot of our major universities. Uh, so universities are businesses. Uh, I think that they should be treated more like businesses if education is only a small fraction of their revenue and business model. Uh, and what they've done is they they make it so that foreign exchange students, research programs are completely dependent on the good graces of the Communist Party of China to have all of this money that they, that, they, that they live on. So they become too big to fail in a way that you can't criticize China 
Uh, we can't question government policy towards China or they'll pull the red carpet out from under our feet. Uh, so that, that's been growing over decades. What's much, much more pronounced now is their role in big tech, uh, big media, big entertainment, big sports, uh, all other elements of the culture war. They seem to have snuck in and taken a monopoly control over just in recent years. Speaking of Steve Yates, he is the CEO of D.C. International Advisory and a former senior national security official under the Bush administration. Uh, Stephen, tell us about uh, you, you mentioned the, the big tech influence, and we're already seeing a lot of problems on the right from American big tech companies involved in censorship. How does China try to leverage big tech to direct American politics or, or get involved in our political conversations? Well, in some ways, it's too easy for them. Uh, if you want the greatest uh, freedom-free zone to test facial recognition, artificial intelligence, ways to monitor and control and influence people, China is the greatest sort of experimental farm you could go to to try to figure out how applied technology can be used to manipulate and control people. And so if you're in the business of doing that in advertising, uh, you might have a perverse interest in trying to cooperate with China. But the Chinese have all kinds of tentacles back in. They can do it by direct investment. They can do it by way of uh, engineers that are exceedingly well-trained but willing to work at a slightly lower rate. Uh, and even if we just look at recent controversies about who are the fact-checkers in big tech today that are determining that a warning label needs to go onto the at real Donald Trump account. In many cases, those are farmed out to Chinese uh, fact checker farms. And uh, so this is they're, they're tied in in so many different ways that people wouldn't even think about it. Wait, hold on a second. Uh, just, the, just so I'm clear, Steve, you're recently. telling me you're telling me that some of the some of the fact checking of American because I've been fact checked. I mean, I've, I've personally yes. been subjected to this in the last few weeks. Some of the fact-checking and, and accompanying censorship that's happening in America around American tech companies preventing Americans from sharing ideas, we're being fact-checked by Chinese? By Chinese people and Chinese artificial intelligence. It's been outsourced. I mean, the, the scale of the operation to try to monitor the, the, the amount of traffic, as we would say, on, say, on, say, Twitter, that's bigger than most American companies could can really reasonably do. And plus, we're talking about international traffic. Things can bounce all over the place and still be about the American election or political process. Uh, and so the Chinese Communist Party and their their, their invested out, outfits, they make themselves available to help out, uh, you know, when needed on things like this. Uh, but very, very, uh, very, very plausibly, you or anyone else that has a sizable audience has been fact-checked by someone who's not even an American. Oh, my gosh. Almost makes me think that it'd be it'd be better to have your know, lib MSNBC watchers. At least at least they feel like there there might be some eventual accountability for what they're doing. But if you're talking about out, uh, outsourcing right. the stuff to China, the chance you could cross paths with. Them. Yeah, exactly. At least I could find out what, what the outfit is and maybe try to get <laughs> some redress. We're speaking to Steve Yates. He is the uh, CEO of D.C. International Advisory. He's a China policy expert. Steve, tell everyone listening to this about the role that China, that the, the relationship and role that China has to the U.S. agricultural industry and how they've tried to leverage that in recent years. And, and you have some particular knowledge of this as a guy who ran for lieutenant governor in Idaho. Yeah, well, uh, one of the more famous examples on the presidential level has been the influence they've tried to exert in Iowa. And so 
know, there has been a former governor of Iowa uh, that was the that was President Trump's ambassador to China, uh, Branstad. And uh, so the Chinese would uh, would offer up access to their uh, consumers for all of our wonderful farm products. And if they took kind of a controlling share of, say, corn in one state or wheat in another or hay in, in other places, they can have tremendous political impact uh, by saying, whoa, 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 don't, don't talk about going to Taiwan or don't support your elected members on these tough on China policies or I'm so sorry, we, we might not be able to buy the next billion dollars worth of your product for the coming season, so sorry. Uh, so they've been able to exercise that influence. For me personally, in the state of Idaho, uh, there's a lot of ag exports that go to China but uh, it's people who then associate with the Chinese or use the China angle that can attack you. Uh, and so uh, since I have a name in Chinese and people have known me through the media in Chinese language, a whole bunch of fake accounts can start sending criticisms, making fake videos, and they get picked up in the American press. And they don't know, you know, we don't have sufficient fact checkers in some part of rural America, and they don't know what's going on. They say, I'm an agent of China. And uh, anyone who's ever known me from the 1990s until now, there probably isn't anyone who has a longer record of being a pain in the backside of the Communist Party than I have. Uh, but it just takes a few fake accounts and build a fake audience. And that Twitter farm goes and the Facebook farm goes. And it looks like there's hundreds of people that don't like this Mr. Yates from Idaho because he's tough on China. Stephen, what should we do about this? Uh, do you think that there's a recognition of how important, powerful and nefarious Chinese influence is, Chinese Communist Party influence is in the United States, that there is enough willingness to do something. And, and if that is the case, and I'm, I'm emphasizing the if, what should be done? Well, I think the single most potent force we have in America right now is the Trump movement. Uh, it's something that can earn coverage. Uh, it can influence people who are active in multiple states. And that's what it's going to take. It's going to take things in state legislatures. In addition to Congress and the federal government, people have to forget that uh, the federal government isn't going to be our savior. We're going to have to save ourselves from the ground up. Uh, and uh, they're going to have to put pressure on universities. They're going to have to put pressure on, uh, on the, the patterns of trade that our states engage in. Uh, and that's going to be much, much more effective than trying to wait for a, a federal response. But recognizing that free trip that those college kids got to go to China, it's going to come with some strings. That, that great welcome mat you got to promise to buy all these crops. Uh, all this, this group of visitors that was going to prop up your resort or your hotel or something like that, that can be taken away as easily as it's, as it's given, and it's going to come with strings attached. I think Secretary Pompeo has been an historic Secretary of State in this regard, the most candid in terms of talking to the world, but also talking to Americans about what the nature and scope of this challenge has been. And we're just at the very beginning of having that real conversation. And it seems like nothing, but in my 30 years of working on this topic, this is the first we've even made headway in having that more honest conversation. And it just needs to continue. Our allies are getting hit by the Chinese too. The Brits, the Australians have had some ugly political attacks on them by the Chinese. And so more of the world is coming around to, this isn't Donald Trump the person versus big bad China. This is China declaring war on civilization as we know it, freedom as we've known it, 
And sadly, they've got enablers in our own polity. And we've got to get wise. And I think this election experience has awakened more Americans to roll this boulder forward in the right way, I hope. Before we let you go, uh, the story that that broke about all these Chinese Communist Party members based on this uh, this leaked list, it was named and, and particularly UK major international United Kingdom based, you know, uh, British companies. Uh, do, do, Steve, what did you make of that? I mean, it was uh, think of a company, you know, Rolls Royce. I mean, think of these British companies that people all right. all know off the top of their head. They've hired and in some cases put in pretty sensitive positions, not just Chinese workers, which is a different thing. Members, active members of the Chinese Communist Party. Yeah. So these the, the, the target of corporate leaders and influencers has been something that a lot of nefarious players around the world have gone to. And the Chinese have made a big, big play for that. And the corporate boards and corporate leadership that allows these people in either are really, really ignorant to let these people into the barn uh, or they're in on the joke. And what they're trying to do is to buy access to the ever elusive billion plus Chinese market by allowing these folks into corporate boardrooms and influential positions. Uh, what happens most of the time, though, is technology and talent and other gets stolen away from them. And a competitor rises up in China. They need to learn this sad lesson. But this has happened in many corporations, in many political organizations. The UK story can easily be replicated in a lot of America. We know that members of the Senate and House intelligence communities have been personally compromised by staffers being on their on their roles for many years. And an FBI briefing ends that tenure. But the damage is done. That's that's been done in corporations. It's been done in Congress. It's been done in campaigns. And everyone needs to get wiser about how to vet this. Stephen Yates, CEO of DC International Advisory. You can follow him on uh, on Twitter. Steve, great to have you, man. Thanks so much. My pleasure. Take care, Buck. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show. Buck took the day off, but don't worry. We've still got you covered. This is the best of the Buck Sexton Show. He is an entrepreneur, a visionary, a seer, a man who's been in a lot of different games and knows how to play them. Our friend James Altucher is back, podcast host. Check out his latest uh, podcast whenever you can. James, appreciate you joining us, man. Buck, once again, always happy to join the show. So tell me this. What do you see happening going into this, what feels like it will be a long, cold winter of particularly small business discontent what do you think you know i think small businesses are in trouble you know during this pandemic during the lockdowns we've gotten addicted to amazon you get paid money and you instantly send it to seattle it no longer survives in your community it no longer usually money would circulate in the community and that's what makes communities prosperous it's it's the it's called the velocity of money in, in economic terms but it's what makes communities prosperous is that people spend in their local stores. That has, that's, a, that's a, a trend that started 50 years ago that we started you know, giving money to the big chains. But now it's firmly set where, where we just send all of our money to Amazon, no questions asked. And that's going to have a, a horrific effect on local communities. So what do you think should I be do done? Th- I, I mean, do think for- the opportunities for entrepreneurs. 
Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, you go ahead. You entrepreneurs, go I ahead. I do think the opportunities for entrepreneurship, though, are are going to be plentiful for for online entrepreneurs. Like more things moving online means more opportunities for entrepreneurship. Is there anything that we could do that we're? I mean, obviously, there's the PPP program which has stalled out since August. But you know, how how can people either on their own or or how could if the government was trying to be helpful, what what could be done to help us adapt during this period? Because here's my concern. I'm already seeing all these posts about just beloved neighborhood businesses, restaurants, stores that are closing all over New York City. It's same the same things happening out in Los Angeles. Same thing is going to be happening. You know, I think I think it hits the big cities first because they've been pretty, pretty extreme on the lockdowns. And, and now they're already they've already been in California lockdown for a few weeks. How, how can places try to you know, or, or, or how could they be assisted in the adaptation, James, so that they could at least get through this very difficult period? It's an interesting question because I think you have to think out of the box and nobody wants to do that. You have to make some tough choices. For instance, New York City owns 27 hospitals. Well, New York City is not in the hospital business, so they 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 provide good health care, but they lose money on it every single year. And New York City can no longer afford to lose money. New York City is going to be about $100 billion in the hole next year. So you have to start considering things like, should we sell the New York City hospital system for whatever, $30, $40 billion and pay back a lot of New York City debt? That would go a long way, but it's a very unpopular choice. We could sell the Port Authority in New York City. We could start selling assets. The other thing is, uh, there's an idea I've been playing around with, which is let's put in place a negative sales tax, meaning instead of being charged money for shopping locally, which is what happens now, like you buy potato chips at the deli, you're charged an extra six or seven percent sales tax. Let's give people money who shop locally. Maybe that's implemented with crypto or Bitcoin somehow. It, the implementation is not important. But if you if you shop locally, you should get extra money that. It is only worth that's only has value if you use that extra money to again shop locally. That's why I suggest using another currency to implement this or some kind of let's call it New York City bucks. So everybody gets New York City bucks when they shop at a local store, a mom and pop store in New York City. And maybe that's redeemable one for one for U.S. dollars in 10 years. So for 10 years, you're encouraged to shop locally with these uh, again, I'll put it in quotes, uh, New York City bucks, something like that, like creative out of the box solutions. You're not going to you're not going to solve things like they're doing now in New York City. You're not going to solve things by shutting down businesses. You're not going to solve things by raising taxes. Yesterday, yesterday, Goldman Sachs Asset Management uh, left for Palm Beach, Florida. And in the same article, I read 70 other financial firms left for other places. And what does that mean? Some people might look at that and say, oh, yeah, well, the wealthy should leave. Good riddance. Well, they happen to be the ones who pay the taxes that afford the teachers, the trash collectors, the EMT healthcare workers, the transit workers, the police, the firemen, you know, all the services that New Yorkers have grown to depend on and love. That's they, they New York City pays for that via taxes. And right now, tourism taxes are down. Property taxes are down. Income taxes are going to be a disaster in 2021. A half a million people have moved out of New York City in the past few months. So that's kind of the long and the short of it. Speaking of James Altucher, he's a podcaster, 
author and an entrepreneur. And James, I know you're in New York City now. It, it, do, do you get any sense that people this time around who uh, maybe are, let's just say, they don't, they don't share my politics, they're, uh, they're people who are Democrats or more left-wing, do you think they're recognizing more? Or are you getting any sense that they're starting to see that the people in charge don't know what the hell they're doing and they can't actually fix this and we need to come up with other ideas? Yes and no. I mean, I have yet to meet a single person who voted for uh, Mayor Bill de Blasio, who magically is finishing his second term in office. So somebody must have voted for him, but nobody will admit voting for him. And so uh, that's the yes. But the no is, uh, you know, everybody is is, you know, has the exact same politics that they had before. They think that they're liberal and conscientious towards others. And yet, you know, in private, I find I find New Yorkers to be very much against progressive ideas or creative ideas that will actually help the city that they live in, help the people in the city. You know, of course, the, the, the virus is affecting a lot of policy decisions, but we have to remember that the virus and the economy are two different beasts. And you're going to, as you fight the virus more and more, depending on how draconian the policies get, you're going to risk ruining the economy and ruining the city in the long term. And that's and people don't seem to realize that. I, I think people with a certain kind of politics don't really seem to understand the importance of basic economics. Yeah, I and, and we're speaking to James Altucher, podcaster, author and and host. Uh, James, I, I think that if people understood that there are a lot of businesses that have already had a really bad year that are way behind on their rent, that. Uh, and, and have had to lay off employees. In some cases, I, I've read about and heard about places that have had to lay off employees multiple times already. So they've already had two rounds of, sorry, everybody go home. The first time they might have gotten PPP. Second time, they might not have had, you know, they might have had to get rid of half their staff. Or And if they're going to close indoor dining, for example, in New York, they've already closed it in Los Angeles. And this for for, you know, anyone anywhere else, th- this is coming to them, too. Or what's going to because the pressure works in such a way that when one city gets more extreme, another city government, also usually Democrats in charge, are going to say, well, we don't want to be the ones who seem like we're reckless. Right. So Philly and Dallas and, you know, name a place. The only exception to this has been Florida. Uh, But I'll get to Florida in a second. It seems to me that people need to be made to understand that we don't have 90 days here of just sorry, your business is shut down. Because it's going to be much worse this time around than it even was the first time around. Because they're already hurt. They're already Absolutely. the businesses are already kind of wounded, if you will. And, and and the issue is a lot of smart people don't seem to grasp what the common may I shouldn't say common, but the main street person is dealing with. The 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 bar owner, the rest I own a bar in New York City. So the bar owner, the restaurant owner, this the clothing store owner, these people are suffering. They they're there are restaurants that have been in business for generations or stores that have been in business for generations that are now bankrupt, that are out of business. And it's only going to get many times worse during the winter months with, with none of these stores and restaurants open, at least in the, in the late spring and in the summer. There was outdoor dining in places like New York City and L.A. And restaurants survived barely because of that. By January 1st, it's estimated that up to 90% of the restaurants in New York City might shut down and be bankrupt for good. Not only that, the eviction moratorium is over on January 1st. One in four New Yorkers haven't paid rent since March. 
And again, this is not just New York City. This is many cities. But to your point about other cities, not uh, the first tier cities are in big trouble. They've they've spent massively on providing great services to their citizens, and all of that money is gone, and those services are in trouble. But a lot of people now are fleeing the New Yorks and LAs for Austin, Park City, Las Vegas, Miami, Denver, Phoenix, New Orleans, Nashville. So these second tier cities, there's gonna be a lot of opportunity, both in real estate and entrepreneurship. Silicon Valley is a ghost town at the moment because in part it's moving to these other cities and it's dispersing, which is not a bad thing. It's it's about time this happens. This was long due and it's just accelerating a trend that was already going to happen. And you believe strongly uh, that the the virtual trend that we're seeing here, I mean, the, the, the big question that I see from people, and I think it's an interesting argument, is one, will will travel return to a, in a way that it's close to at least what it was before? Because there are some who say, well, people aren't going to be flying for meetings the same way because of Zoom calls. I think there's some truth to that. There's all in person is still better and more. I think it has more impact than than Zoom. If we're really you know looking at this, especially you know if you're going to ask somebody to give you a hundred thousand dollars for your startup or a million dollars for your startup, if you can be hand you know hand to hand in person handshake, that that's still going to be better. Um, but also, I think there'll be an explosion of people that want to once the virus is finally there's vaccinations that want to travel that want to get out there and do things. So there's that part of it. But then also, what does it mean for real estate for commercial real estate for places you know yeah i think people are going to still want to have offices but i think office space is going to be at much less of a premium i think offices are going to be smaller by you know it's going to be more of a gathering space and less of a you know sock me into my cubicle right i mean how do you see that playing out so so travel and offices right so travel i agree with you better better to be in person for for meetings that are across the country however it's obviously not very productive to spend you know, days of your life traveling from New York to L.A., say, and then traveling back just for one or two meetings. So what's going to happen is we are going to see probably about a a 30 to 50 percent reduction in business travel. I'm absolutely convinced of this. Of course, I'm just predicting and, you know, being a pundit here. But this is a natural thing that's going to happen. You said that people, uh, of course, enjoy and it's better for face to face. That's true, but it's not what companies are going to want. Companies are already used to saving the money of reduced travel and not that much of a reduction in productivity. There's been a lot of research on this the past few months. There's there's a, a significant benefit in productivity happening right now, and that's not going away. And companies are going to be able to save costs. Like you said, on real estate, they're going to may, maybe many industries are going to switch to a hybrid model, come in one or two days a week, share your desk with somebody who's coming in the other one or two days a week, and we can reduce office space. Now, office space architecture is going to change as well. Desks are going to be a little bit more spread out. There's going to be no more open area uh, floor plans. There's going to be more cubicles and offices now because protection from future viruses and pandemics. Like Just because this virus is over, we're now aware that viruses and flus and pandemics exist, just like Asia has been aware for the past couple of decades. So that's going to significantly change. And let's not forget, once again, Bandwidth has changed for the first time ever for one of these catastrophes. Bandwidth is now good enough, 10 times faster than it was in 2009. Bandwidth is good enough for you and I to have as many meetings as we want at high quality bandwidth, 4D screens, so uh, 4K screens. So 
uh, I see remote is a, is is here to stay. It might not be to the level it is now, but you're not going to see 100% full buildings. You're not going to see uh, air travel the way it was. It, it's all different. Where James, where can folks go to and, uh, and, down, know, lot, check out? A lot of spaces are going to be. Sorry, go ahead. No, I was trying, I was trying to promo your podcast. Where can where should folks go to listen? Oh yeah, the James Altucher show. But I always like coming on. Buck Sexton show, so listen to me here. There we go. James Altucher, everybody. James, thanks so much. Thank you, Buck. Thanks again. Liberty, truth, and great hair. You're listening to the best of the Buck Sexton show. I would say that uh, closing schools due to coronavirus uh, is probably the biggest public health blunder in modern American history. Um, the fallout in communities that are still chafing under school closures, we have some of the biggest school districts in our country uh, that still do not have in-person instruction. Incidentally, of the top 10 school districts population-wise, five are in Florida, five, all five offer in-person instruction. Um, uh, but but the, the harm from this is going to reverberate in those communities for years and years to come. And the tragedy of all this is that the evidence has been remarkably clear since the spring uh, that closing schools offers virtually nothing in terms of virus mitigation, but imposes huge costs on our kids, on our parents, and on our society. An enormous amount of unnecessary suffering thanks to the teachers' unions, our hysterical media, and the Democrat Party. That is the reality of what school closures have accomplished. That is the reality of what has gone on here. An enormous, an enormous loss from all of this. And you would say, how could they have made such a bad decision? There was never a point, I want to be very clear, there was never a point at which the data suggested that schools were a high risk for children or that adults were likely to get the virus from children. They never had that data. They just guessed. They just told you. Have you seen the, the brilliant public health intellectuals, the blue check MDs out there? Have you seen them explain why they weren't all pointing that out? I, I just want to know. They want to tell us now, wear a mask because it's the science. And if you don't say that, they'll throttle you on Facebook. They'll ban you on Twitter, right? That's where we are now as a country. Free speech is almost dead in this country. That's where we really are. But the medical community, the same medical community that was at least willing to come. And when I say the community, I know there's a lot of there are right wing doctors who listen to this show. Thank God. Right. There are people, there are nurses who listen to this show. I'm not talking about them. I'm talking about the blue check MD mafia that's always on CNN and pointed to in the New York Times and all these people that use their credential to silence everybody else. Where are their apologies on this? They were wrong, flatly, catastrophically wrong on school closures. And many of them knew and they were cowards. And it's obvious they knew that schools should be open, but they wouldn't do it. Think about the, the loss of 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 development for these kids, the psychological duress. You know, what happens to you as a kid plays out as an adult. Any psychologist will tell you extreme stress events as a kid. Sometimes even there can be PTSD that children suffer from, and it doesn't really manifest until later on in life. And, you know, kids are at this very fragile stage of development. They need to be around their peers. 
So there's that cost. And then think of all the parents that have had to not be they haven't been able to go do their job. You know, everyone who writes for Vice and Slate and the Daily Beast, they're all working remote. They're all ordering their DoorDash. You know, no big deal. They don't have to go in and deal with this stuff. And by the way, a lot of them don't have kids. Just just saying a lot of the journos who are the biggest advocates of the school lockdowns for safety. They don't have children. They don't even know. Uh, But there's no apology forthcoming. And what we see is that Florida is now Sweden where they're showing us, okay, maybe it's not perfect. Obviously, there are a lot of cases. There's a lot of problems there, too. But there's upside. You don't have in other places that are doing lockdowns. Right. And what is the downside of the Florida approach remains to be seen, doesn't it? Buck took the day off. But don't worry. We've still got you covered. This is the best of the Buck Sexton show. You talked about the FISA warrant to to surveil Carter Page and uh, the inspector general uh, for the FBI said that that was improper. The lawyer who who, uh, took actually some statements from the CIA and, and doctored them has pled guilty to a crime. What about what seems to be the pretty total discrediting of the Steele dossier? Well, uh, as we have said previously, the Steele dossier was not used in any way to uh, undergird the judgments that came out of the intelligence community assessment about the Russian actions in the 2016 election. And so the the Steele dossier was something that I never looked at from a standpoint of uh, credibility because it wasn't something that the CIA had acquired. And so I think, you know, people point to the Steele dossier as this, you know, reason why the whole thing was a hoax. No, there was so much other evidence and intelligence to support those judgments. So I am very comfortable with how the intelligence community came out on that 2016 election. Brennan, who you will see in a Biden administration in some advisory role, I'm 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 feeling it. They're bringing him back. They want to reward him for being the deep state henchman that he was. Brennan is a filthy, slimy liar. Explain to us, former CIA director Brennan, and, you know, this this uh, is hurts. I, I wish the CIA brand wasn't getting so tarnished by these partisan imbeciles, but it is. I mean, CIA is never really going to be the same. You know, there was this period after 9-11 where we realized that we needed to track, hunt and destroy Al Qaeda. And the CIA was essential in that. And now we're seeing once again, it's a lot of. A lot of bureaucrats pushing paper around and whining about the Hatch Act when anybody says, you know, they want to put an American flag over their desk or something. These people are nuts. A lot of lot of left wing loons in the CIA. It's unfortunate. Um, But. What Brennan says is clearly not true. Where is all this? Notice how he says it for this. The Steele dossier is total crap. We know this. This is this is official. This is clear. This is obvious. There's no argument to be had. That was all a lie. It was briefed. By the FBI director, the FBI is part of the intelligence community. So when Brennan says the intelligence community looks good on this, no, that's not true. The FBI is part of the intelligence community. It's briefed by the FBI director to the incoming president of the United States. You know, it's essentially the FBI director saying, yeah, you know, nice administration you got. Be ashamed if something happens to it. Better keep me in my job. I can protect you from this. I mean, it's it's like our, our own FBI chief basically went to Trump in 2016 with I've got Russian compromat on you. Just FYI. Oh, yeah. So that the president's aware of this to protect himself. Before they did this, the thing was a joke. Nobody was taking it seriously. Oh, but once you brief it, then all of a sudden you've got a whole different situation here because it's been briefed 
It's been given this seal of intelligence community credibility that it did not have before. So Brennan is just he's just lying to you. But but this is already I'm telling you, you know, I said this earlier in the show. I'm going to keep hitting this point. They are going to rewrite the whole Russia collusion history. They're going to rewrite the whole thing. You're going to see it's going to be this. Oh, we actually were right all along. The Trump people just lied about it. They hid the truth from us. So get ready for that, because we're going to have to keep fighting on this. We're going to have to continue to push back on the lies. China, speaking of enemies, enemy espionage. China is looking to be more and more of a problem for the uh, Democrats, for those of us who are paying attention to what's happening. You have this story in Axios, which is a left wing publication, that there was a suspected Chinese spy who was targeting politicians uh, between 2011 and 2015. Her name was Fang Fang. And Fang Fang was looking for up and up and coming politicians in California to establish close rapport and relationships, perhaps even sexual relationships with to have access to their thinking and to run what is essentially a long term influence operation. Here's the actual Axios report. We'll get into why this once again, you know, Diane Feinstein uh, reportedly had a had a Chinese spy as her personal driver for years and years and didn't notice anything. But they want to talk to you about Russia. Russia is nowhere near the economic uh, and just just national strat- national strategic threat that China is. Russia is uh, a country that r- really actually could use some help to get on its feet, get things cleaned up. Here's the Axios. Here's the Axios piece. The woman at the center of the operation, a Chinese national named Fang Fang or Christine Fang, targeted up and coming local politicians in the Bay Area and across the country who had the potential to make it big on the national stage through campaign fundraising, extensive networking, personal charisma and romantic or sexual relationships with a couple of Midwestern mayors. Fang was able to gain proximity to political power, according to current and former intelligence officials and one former elected official. Although U.S. officials do not believe Fang received or passed on classified information, the case was a big deal because there were some really sensitive people caught up in this network. Private but unclassified information about government officials, their habits, preferences, schedules, social networks, even rumors about them is a form of political intelligence. Collecting such information is a key part of what foreign intelligence agencies do. Among the most significant targets of Fang's efforts was Congressman Eric Swalwell. Yeah, the gas passer, Eric Swalwell. He was a huge Russia collusion truther, if you remember. So while he's telling the whole country and has the media magnifying his efforts to focus our attention on Russia while that's happening, uh, Eric Swalwell is the target of a Chinese influence operation, according to this piece in Axios. And I'm, I'm look, he's a he's a good target for them. The guys, not very smart, desperate for attention and influence. And he's really a kind of a, a ruthless up and coming Democrat. And this gives you a sense, though, of the long game. You know, if you ever watch the if you ever watch the show, The Americans, very good show for what it is, very well done. You watch The Americans, you see that the Russians 
ran these uh, these spies in the U.S. called illegals. And this is known. I mean, now post Cold War era, we, we, this, a lot of this has been talked about and declassified. They run these illegals and they're deep cover operatives. And this continued past the Cold War. You remember that? there was that whole network with uh, uh, Anna Chapman and this, you know, this pretty redhead who's supposed to get close to these different officials. And it just went to show you the extent to which some of these foreign countries realized that longstanding uh, espionage, intelligence and influence operations like that can really bear fruit. And so they will take a very long view. The, the Soviets would take a very long view, the Russians. But the Russian influence operations against the United States are a pittance or a joke compared to what the Chinese have had going on for the last 20 years. The Chinese government understands that over the long term, they are our only real nation state competitor and they seek to supplant us and they want influence at the top level. They want to be able to steer U.S. foreign policy. And yes, they want to be able to buy people off. Much easier, right? Much better to just have somebody in your pocket. Oh, right. And then there was that whole Joe Biden son, Hunter Biden, running what was effectively a, an influence operation on behalf of China to his own dad. But the Democrats don't care about that. Democrats have been trained to think China is not a concern because Democrat elites who are ultra wealthy and influential have been benefiting from China personally, right? They, they as individuals, their companies are wealthier. These are huge markets. Here, here's a perfect example of this. The NBA. You think what could be more American than the NBA? I mean, the whole world now plays basketball, loves basketball as a sport, spectator sport. The NBA should be in a place where they would, uh, you know, be willing to put American interests first. You would think speak up for American values, but no, they won't. Why? Because China, because they need that money. And that means that NBA players and even their social media presence is always filtered through this prism of we need to keep China happy. Well, if that is true of the NBA and it's true of athletes who are making tens of millions of dollars and NBA commissioners and other senior NBA corporate types who are making millions and millions of dollars. Uh, what do you think? The, what do you think China is able to accomplish with uh, with Google? What do you think China is able to accomplish with uh, other companies that they're they're both making them bend to China's will and this is the other part of it. And they are going out of their way to steal from these companies as much as they possibly can. So it's this is what you have to do to do business in China. The companies say, OK, OK, fine, you know, because they want access to that market and they'll steal their intellectual property in the process. But they don't want to complain too much about it because they want that. They want those shares. Uh, they want those shares to stay up. They want their corporate compensation packages to be fat. So they don't say very much about it. And we have started to realize in the last five to ten years the scale and scope of this theft, which is extreme. But how many Democrats do you think have been influenced uh, on behalf of the Chinese Communist Party in this country? You know, we're going to start. I'm, I'm, I'm going to tell you this. Another another prediction. I got a lot of a lot of visions in my head today that I think are going to come true. And, and we'll revisit them as we continue to do this show, because for now, at least the social media companies can try to throttle me. But my and, you know, by the way, you can always also follow me at BuckSexton.com if you want to uh, read our stories there. I'm going to have an editorial up tomorrow 
think I'm going to deal with this issue of, of China. Um, so BuckSexton.com, and I hope you're making that a, a page where you'll go and download and, and listen to the podcast, and we've got a lot of things happening there at the site. Uh, but a- as we continue forward here, what I think you're going to see are the Democrats, because they've focused so much of this attention on Russia and Russia collusion nonsense, the way they can cover up for this going forward, the way they can try to to be, um, you know, try to distract the American public would be to say, well, this is now a new red scare that the Chinese Communist Party is not really a threat. And and this is exaggerated by Republicans, because if we dig into this deeper, we're going to find out is that China has been buying off Democrats for a very long time and buying off Democrat elites. You know, people that are talking all about climate change, they're doing all kinds of business with China, knowing the Chinese don't give a crap about climate change. Right. I mean, that, and that's just one example of countless examples. But I'm saying think this through. You'll see. Look at what our policy. It's an amazing. It's really a stunning foreign policy success. The Chinese government has had for the last 20 years, U.S. on a pretty bipartisan basis. Now, now we got to bring the Republicans in here, too, because there are Republicans who need to be looked at for this. There are Republicans who have not been putting American interests first. Uh, the bipartisan foreign policy consensus on China was as they get wealthier, they will be a better partner and player on the world stage. So let's not make too much noise about the espionage. Let's not have, you know, when they've got dens of spies all across the country, we find out about them occasionally. Let's not get too upset about it. And, you know, let's, let them steal a lot of intellectual property from us, billions and billions of dollars. You know, we don't want to make too much noise about this. Somehow we thought this was going to get better. No one ever answers how, but the belief was that there would be a way that in time the Chinese would, would you know, stop doing this stuff. How much of that was also driven by people who were close friends, business associates, perhaps making introductions, perhaps paying consulting fees for people in the media, in academia, in politics, the infiltration of the CCP into the nodes of power in America has been one of the most uh, underreported and honestly suppressed critical stories of the last 20 years. And the more we look into this, you're going to see there are Republicans who are certainly caught up in this, too. The Democrats as a party have been bought and paid for by the Chinese Communist Party. That's what we're going to find. And the way they're going to fight against the public coming to that realization is to say that this is a new red scare and that this is McCarthyism. You're going to hear all these phrases. But it's actually because the truth is that the Democrats are bought and paid for by China. Get ready for this. Bucks off spreading freedom coast to coast. This is the best of the Buck Sexton show. You you look at the real challenge on on the global stage, and that challenge is China. It, it, we are once again we've moved into a, a bipolar world, much like Truman faced with with the Soviet Union and the United States. But the best way to address that is first um, rebuild your alliances, uh, and then work together with your allies in the best approach towards China. And there's really no need, while China's a rival, there's no need to make China our enemy. Um, and you could say the same thing with Russia as well. So, uh, but, 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 for, but before Joe Biden does that, 
Uh, he obviously has to rebuild America's alliances. Uh, that's a lesson that certainly uh, Truman uh, still can teach Joe Biden and other presidents in the coming years. Doing doing a great job of making sure that no one really thinks that China is a big problem here. Scarborough over in Morning Joe. I mean, that that show is it really is just an intellectual sewer. It's intellectual sewer of people who puff up their chests and think that what they say is worthwhile. You got a lot of a lot of rich people, mostly who are in the right place at the right time, uh, who who show up and they sit on these panels and what they say is just dumb. And what he's saying here is is just frankly absurd. What what alliances need to be repaired? Notice they just say this. This is a talking point. What what country do we not have a good relationship with because of Trump? I'm going to want to try. Oh, China, the, the only place where we've act, where Trump has really taken an aggressive posture against that country in a way that was a huge departure from the past is the one threat that we have on the global on the global stage. And he says, well, we don't have to be enemies with, enemies with Russia, really, after pushing the Russia stole an election hysteria for four years. Now they're going to pretend that Russia's not really. Yeah, I mean, it's, it turns out China's the bigger threat. You don't say we knew that. But Democrats didn't want to admit it. Democrats thought that they had uh, more a more important threat. You see, ultimately, what this comes down to is that the Democrats believe the biggest problem for them is not actually China. It's Donald Trump. The biggest problem for America was never the threat from China. They viewed Donald Trump as the bigger threat. And so whatever was necessary uh, in their minds for that agreement, I'm sorry, whatever was necessary uh, for that situation was what they would do. That's that was the plan here. But this is just all blather. There is no Trump's foreign policy was better than Obama's foreign policy by every observable metric you can see. Not even close by everything that you can actually point to. It was that had impact or any meaning. It was better. And confronting China was a centerpiece of it. You think the Democrats are going to confront China? No, they're going to want to say, what's my cut?